He can do that now. He can do that. All right. So, uh, again, uh, by way of reminder, today is the 5th of Tibet. Hey, Tibet. And uh, hey, Tibet. And we have a, uh, we have a fast coming up. Next Thursday, I believe, right? The Next first Thursday. Of the year. First of the year happens to be a fast day. It doesn't start till sunrise. Yeah, right, it's, it's a, a sunrise. Fast. It's an it's easy. Wake up. It's, it's an easy day before sunrise. Easy, easy fast. Sundown, sunrise to sunset. But prior to the uh, prior to the uh, fast tomorrow, we're expecting the entire family. No, um, tomorrow we have. The uh, Trafficanti family moving from near here to far from here. Um, it's further. It's further. Yeah. It's all right. The good news is, if you happen to be in the area, you can hit like a whole bunch of people all That's at the same true. time. That's true. So uh, come and help uh, move this family uh, on the morrow. It is their first house, which is really It exciting. is indeed. So uh, we'll look for a mezuzah party at some point here yeah. uh, from we'll both these. Are you going to do that? Really? Yeah. Well, you got to have yeah. the one in the door when you're leaving. You already have, you have to remove the one from where you're at, so you might as well put it somewhere instead of in a box. Just put it on the wall. Right, that works. Yeah. All right. So that's the deal there. Um, it's at 1030. It's at 1030 at their place. You go to the apartment first. I, was the address in the meetup? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. I think both So hit the meetup and. Uh, Including the code. We'll do that. And the code to get through the gate. That code. Dude, that code never works. That code never works. It's David. Okay. So, yeah, put in the gate. Which does not mean it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, though. Yeah, so we'll meet there. Schlep everything in the truck. Okay. Schlep it on over. We'll move it. Do we have to schlep? So we will be schlepping. We all realize that. Are we going to be taping? Is everything in the boxes already? Yeah, everything's in the boxes. So you so show up, grab the boxes, put it on the truck, nice. drive the truck, empty the truck. It's supposed to be raining, by the way, so dress appropriately. You guys so, really uh, and somebody needs to bring a stopwatch. So we can time ourselves to see if we can best ever. Oh, yeah. You are on the third floor, so I anticipated a zip line. I think it's just going to be a Put the armor on there? Yeah. So from the 19th floor of the apartment complex will be down the steps. For those of you who helped us move, we know the third floor deal. Yeah, we know the third floor deal. As, as I recall, yeah. your father and I have the bruises from that. Probably, yeah. but I have to say, that was one of the fastest moves I've ever seen in my life. Don't show up later, there won't be work to do. That's right. That's right. That's true. So there'll be pizza at the new place, not the old place, right? It's a little early for pizza. Right, especially at the speed which we're all going to move. That's great. It's never too early for pizza. But only if it's cold pizza. All right. Um, so we want to uh, take a moment uh, to get the camera working properly. While I'm doing that, 
Uh, we do want to uh, everybody to say hello to uh, Tom in Myrtle Beach. And it, it's, I think it's important that we, we not make it sound like they're in some type of recovery group. <laughs> Hello, Tom. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's the deal there. Yeah. yeah, we're praising with you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then um, we have um, the Lensmeyer family, Bill, and Karen, his two sons, are watching from Wisconsin. Uh, to uh, not only watch and pray with you, but also to listen to your words of wisdom as we go through the Torah portion, specifically, I think, from Taylor and Brock. But anybody else who wants to add in would be great. And then, uh, of course, we have uh, Anne-Marie here for the first time, and I guess we're not going to see her again for another three years because she's at <laughs> Campbell University and uh, just here for a little while. So praise God for, for her. Well, that was great. <laughs> Um, Colby, and that was right. Colby. Sean's here. Sean is here, and whereas Noah's here, but more importantly, <coughs> and there we have it. Sean is here, and Noah's here, so that's good. Um, yes, Gloria and Adria are both here. And, uh, of course, we're uh, hoping to see Chase again, maybe on Tuesday night, and uh, certainly uh, on Shabbats. Uh, he's living up in Mooresville, so uh, we want to want to reach out there as much as we can. And Greg's here, so the Shekinah is here. That's right. That's true. Speaking of which, let me, uh, well, the real Shekinah, uh, let me, let me uh, uh, ask you all if you would uh, consider this week if you'd be praying for my brother Dale. Um, he is, uh, um, as you know, he suffers from ALS, so he is a walking miracle. Okay? He's lived for 15 years with ALS. It usually kills very quickly. Um, and, but he is currently in the hospital. He had brain hemorrhaging. Um, he has lost his ability to speak. Um, and uh, they were concerned at first it was stroke, but it's just brain hemorrhage. But if you'll be praying for him, um, it's, uh, it's very... Uh, you know how it would be if you could, if you wanted to speak or knew you could speak but couldn't speak. How confusing that would be, and how, and just just as a reflection, it says uh, Mystic Judaism tells us that the world is preserved by th- thirty six righteous in every generation. My my brother is one of those. Amen. Yeah, if you've not had the privilege of meeting him, uh, he's just he is all kinds of neat. It's true. He always has a smile. Yep. Yeah. We actually have a picture of him at the hospital right now. Yes. Smile on his face. Can't speak, but he has a smile on his face. Very good. All right, so uh, this is the 11th portion. It's Vayigash, and he approached. And uh, if there's no other announcements, did I miss anything? Is anybody pregnant? Anybody else pregnant? <laughs> okay, we're all good there. Yeah. Well, then my righteous son in law will step up. Thank you. Yes, my wife gave me this tie. Isn't she amazing? Yes. We're wearing brightly colors. Yes. You know it. It's it's a plum color. Okay. We decided it's actually purple. Just like purple. I like to be sure. Hey, Josh. Good choice. How cool was it to have your brother-in-law? Introduce his wife for the first time. It was amazing. 
We loved that. It was really cool. We were very happy for Pete and Laura. Um, and it's just, it's so, I don't know, it's such a wonderful blessing to see, like, um, to see them together, to see them here, to hear the excitement um, in their voice talking about having people over for Erev Sh Shabbat and other types of things. And we are glad to have a yet another righteous family in our midst. So we are on <clears throat> Vayigash, which, um, which is translated Judah approached. Um, uh, Vayagash uh, comes from the same root that means for a word pugesh, uh, which is like to meet. Um, in modern Hebrew, uh, that would actually be like a meeting. Like if your business is having a meeting, you could use that word for that. Um, and this is kind of like, you could argue theoretically that this might be one of the most important meetings in all of Scripture. Because up until this point, there, there's like there's like this eerie silence. There's this hanging in the balance feeling. It's like Joseph, Joseph's gone away. Joseph has had a miraculous rise to power. God is fulfilling his promises, but it's like the family is fragmented. The family is scattered. The, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're in danger of famine. There's all of these bad things going on, and it's like there's this, this air of anticipation in this moment. And if you, you read through the last portion, it ends so dramatically. You know, Benjamin's being taken away, and it's like the whole thing is about to happen all over again. They're going to shatter Jacob's heart again, and it's like, and the brothers are going to fail again. And then Judah approached. And this, that one verse, Judah approached, carries with it just so much power. Because if you know the story of Judah up to this point, you've been following him, he's the guy who blew it last time. He's, I, I believe Judah had really good motives with what he wanted to do with, uh, with Joseph originally. When they sold him into slavery, he was trying to save his life. He was looking at it going... Well, last time, you know, Simeon, he had a great idea to throw him in a pit with snakes and scorpions. That was brilliant. So I'll just sell him to the, you know, my distant cousins, the Midianites, and it'll all be okay. Better than whatever else is going to happen to him. But, I know that sounds odd, but, oh. um, yes. Uh, totally cool with that, by the way. Judah, um, uh, in the midst of this, Judah is, is trying to argue that he... He has a better plan this time. He's going to actually step up and own it. Last time, Judah put, in a sense, himself first. He like he they lied to their father. They were okay with the tragedy things that would happen to their father. But Judah does easily what's the hardest thing in life. He takes responsibility. And if you are a man, you know that going to work may be difficult, but it is not by any means the hardest thing you have to do. The hardest thing you have to do as a husband and leader in your home is to be responsible for everything that happens in your home. Amen. To be in charge, to make decisions, and to ultimately carry that burden on yourself. And Judah does that. Judah says, I take responsibility for Benjamin. And more importantly, he doesn't say, you can be mad at me, you can punish me, you can hurt me. He says, if I don't bring him back, I will have sinned before you forever. He takes the guilt of it, which is a really big deal. Yes, sir. Yeah, I remember the sage just said that it had to be Judah because he had he was the only one with like enough merits in order to really like step in the gap there. And then he is blessed with Caleb, being his later descendant, being one of the ones that doesn't 
um, it has a good report in the midst of all the bad reports. So it's like oh, yeah. Caleb results from like him stepping up and being so meritorious as to be able to, to make this happen. Absolutely, that's really cool. Oh, is there another hand? Should I miss one? I see that hand. Okay. Um, I, I have a hand. Oh, go ahead. They say, um, so the, the, the sage asks the question, why was Judah's plea heard and Reuben's plea not heard? Because Reuben plead, pled, pled, made, a, made a case for Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob turned him down, said, like, no thanks. And then Judah comes back and says, you know, makes a, makes a case of why Benjamin should go to the land. And um, they say, one, Reuben's was at an unopportune time. Jacob wasn't ready to hear mm. the, the news. Um, two, they say Judah did his with more class. He was very precise when he talked mm. and very ready to debate. And he, he showed enough candor and care and respect, but also charisma when he was mm -hmm. speaking. But most importantly, they said Judah ex had, was the only one of the group to experience the loss of a child. Mm. For he had lost two children, mm -hmm. and so he was able to relate to mm. Jacob on another level that other mm -hmm. people weren't able to relate to. That's really good. That's yeah. very cool. true. Very true. And Judah also, um, but I think it's so impressive about this portion, is that Judah makes the offer to Jacob. But if you've ever made an offer <laughs> that you can't refuse, that um, that you, you kind of hope you don't ever have to fulfill, you know? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. I really hope they don't actually end up asking that. But um, and then and then here, when at the moment, Judah Judah steps up. He actually does what he said he'd do, at his own, at a tremendous cost to himself. That was one of the things um, I think that's most impressive to me is that when someone has a change of heart, when someone because Judah's repentance story ultimately, I think he, I think that I feel like if you read his story, he's always a pretty good guy, but he goes through some really bad stuff to end up becoming a great guy. And when you see that greatness. Um, I think the thing that you that you always look for when it comes to repentance is is there a, is there a change that comes at cost? Did you actually do something different that cost you? Up until that point, it's always possible that you've just changed your mind. It's possible you've just feel differently, but that can change. That can go back again. But I mean, I remember um, I remember when. Uh, one of my brothers-in-law, Isaac, started really coming into the group and connecting with the men here. And um, it's one thing to show up on a Tuesday, but when he started making decisions that cost him money, that cost him friends, that cost him because he felt like he needed to change his lifestyle to do what was right. It was like that was when I, I knew, like, this is real to him. His faith has is real to him. It's not just something he says. It's something that actually is changing his life. That's what happens to Judah here. He said, Dad. If, they, if Benjamin doesn't come back, blame me. But when it really mattered, he did it. He acted. And that, I think, is extremely impressive. Yes, sir. And, and to your point, the sages bring that up, right? I mean, we always wonder, in the midst of the Joseph story, you've got this whole Judah thing with Tamar right in the middle of the story, as if the two are, are destined to be woven together. Mm -hmm. And they are. And, you know, here is Judah stepping up. And the sages comment uh, that the chutzpah that, that Judah uses here is extraordinary. We know it's Joseph. We know it's his brother. He mm -hmm. doesn't know that. Right. He's like stepping up to this godlike man right. who is second only to Pharaoh. And, and he is laying it on the line and saying, Here, here's the deal. Here's the story. Maybe you don't get it. It's going to kill him. I can't 
let that happen. And, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's what I loved about that part, because uh, the last time, his main thing was, it's like he almost didn't, didn't care what it would do to his dad. But in this part, it's not that he's defending Benjamin because he believes Benjamin's innocent, right. although that may be partly true. It's really because, but you don't know what it'd do to my dad. And it's like, wow. You know, you can see that like the, he's made that all to Shuba. Because if you remember the story of Tamar, the sages key in on the fact that the phrase, when they turn in the bloody cloak from Joseph, you know, the exact same language, see if you please, is this your son's garment or whatever, is the same language that Tamar uses for the, signat- uh, the signatory items that Judah had given her, you know, see if you please, are, whose are these? And it's like, identify if you please, who are these? And, um, and so in the same way, it's like God was keying in on that. Judah, you screwed up big time here. You really made a big mistake because you were very calloused towards your father's heart in this moment. So Judah's flip happens when he realizes that, when God has used um, the circumstances to teach him that lesson. And you see now that Judah got it. He really got it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this story is so, this meeting is so huge because this is, like we read in the, in the Haftarah, God's going to bring Israel and Judah back together as one in their land. And this is that process happening for the first time. It is Judah repentant, Joseph who has been exiled, being reunited, and it's only possible because of Judah's repentance. And it's just really beautiful. It really is. Yes, sir. Um, In in the same vein, um, and looking at this whole experience from Joseph's perspective, uh, we, we can almost consider that he's been somewhat cruel to them. He's, uh, he's really played them along for months and months, uh, knowing exactly what was going on, uh, being a full and fully aware and actually uh, putting out clues in a way to um, actually bring fear to their hearts and actually cause them to fear for uh, for Shimon and now now for Benjamin's safety and in uh, it, it's I mean you have to look at it and say he was it was it was a sort of almost cruel genius he's what playing. he did he's that playing. he played Judah he was he wasn't playing his other brothers he's actually playing Judah is the point you know he's he wants something from Judah and we know that because his immediate response when he sees when he sees Judah's response hmm. Then he then he breaks, mm-hmm. and and the, the and the reason that he breaks is because he sees Judah is going to is going to step in the gap for Benjamin, mm-hmm. knowing full well that it's going to cost him his life. He's going to step in the gap for Benjamin. Why? Because he loves his father. This was the this mm-hmm. was the thing that Judah had done wrong, mm-hmm. and Joseph knew that the ultimate sin was what he had done to his father mm-hmm. in sinning against Joseph. And all the brothers participated, but it's Judah that that Joseph wants to see him repent because he knows the rest will follow him. Right. And to me, what it does is it reveals it reveals a, a midrashic, um, uh, cyclical uh, pattern that's being laid down that we're seeing played out even today, and that Judah is is being held to a standard that that requires repentance and the and the repentance that he needs to see is when he defends his youngest brother and personally i believe his youngest brother is people who are jewish by birth who follow the messiah know his name are not included not considered to be brothers 
And to me, when Judah repents of that sin, mm -hmm. then there's an opportunity for Messiah then to reveal himself and say, I am, I am Yeshua, Hamashiach, your brother. Mm -hmm. And they'll immediately recognize him not as a foreign Messiah, not as the head of Christianity, not as, not as, a, not as a prophet for, for Islam, not as a prophet for the world, but they'll recognize him as the Messiah, their Messiah, circumcised and completely, uh, a, and completely a part of the covenant between God and the mm -hmm. people of Israel. Speaking Hebrew, probably. Well, Hebrew language plays a very important role in all this story as well. It does. Yeah, because I think that's one of the things he says, see my mouth that is talking to you. Joseph makes that comment. It's like, uh, the odds that I would know Hebrew, I mean, really, unless I'm part of your group. Um, uh, it's pretty cool. He, um, that, Joseph, man, this, this, I know, I know a, man, a good man named Joseph who cries very easily. Um, but this particular, um, I mean, you can, can't you feel the emotion here? I mean, Joseph. You mean you didn't cry when you read this? I know. I tear it up just reading the passage. And you're looking at it. I also cry. You know, that, that is our connection, our bond. You weep. You weep. You don't cry. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's okay. Um, we're watching the movie with a room full of women, and we're the only ones. <laughs> um, uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but Joseph does so too here, too. I think that's so cool. It's just like, it's like. It's like, like you were describing. It's like this is what he was looking for. This is what he wanted, and you can feel the emotion. Where it's like, it's like, and he just he loses it. He can't. It says he can restrain himself no longer. It's like it, it breaks him. And I think that it's so beautiful to see that that happen to him. Um, and then, and then I think Joseph. This is where Joseph, like to me, just really skyrockets to top shelf. Is his response to them, because this whole thing, you've been watching him playing them and it really plays like a revenge tale they 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 distressed him they made his life miserable and he is getting them back because that's what you do you know it's almost like uh it's if you were to watch a movie this would be the classic story of the you know pick any any movie you've ever seen with a revenge storyline it's like he's betrayed as a child he grows up becomes a man they don't know who he is and he uses his knowledge to lay them all out but that's not his response here, he ends up, uh, at this point, when he has them dead to rights, he tells them the absolute most unexpected comment, I think, in all of Scripture. He tells them here, uh, do not be distressed, nor reproach yourselves for having sold me here. Don't feel bad. I mean, it's one thing, if you've ever been hurt, it's one thing to forgive someone and try not to treat them badly. It's one thing to, to forgive someone and maybe even wish they're good or try to be nice to them. But to tell them, don't feel bad for having done what you did to me. Like, wow, whoa. I mean, that's like top shelf emunah faith. That Joseph recognizes that God is in such control of everything that he has the ability to forgive completely without any problems because he knows it was all at God's hands. Yes, sir. What you just said, that's what Oh, Brock, you are brilliant, and I appreciate you being in my presence because I can feel the mind melt. Yes, sir. Well, you know, the way you, you've laid it out, Joseph is as Pharaoh. Joseph is as the ultimate one. Joseph is filling that role of God, as it were. And we need to recognize in our own day and age that 
we've done these same types of things to God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the response, the, the divine mm-hmm. response is, you know what? I, I just, I can't take it anymore. I'm overwhelmed with joy that we're back together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the master alludes to this that there is such rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And, and you see that. You see that played out here. Yeah. yeah. Granted, you know, there's some things that don't, don't, don't parallel perfectly, but um, we need to recognize that in our day-to-day lives, especially those who are afar off, as it were, from God, there is no sin that he is unwilling to forgive and to to gain that relationship that he wants for us. Absolutely, and I think, I mean, I was just recently, the phrase came up, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Amen. But I would even take it to the next step. It's like, it is the grace of God that I'm still here because I've gone there. Amen. I've done an amazing list of stupid things in my lifetime, and the fact that I'm still here breathing grace of is an unbelievable grace of God. That's that's it. It's, well, come back to you. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but this will be next week when we won't all be sitting here. <laughs> One of my favorite passages is at the end of Genesis uh, in 50, where Joseph in verse 19 says, Do do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid. And, you know, it's it's back to what he says here. This is later on after the father dies, and they say, okay, now he's going to get even. Mm -hmm. You know, dad's gone, and he's not protecting us anymore. But Joseph throughout this has seen the hand of God. Yeah. And some to what Joseph was alluding to, when you pray for somebody, especially a child who is in sin that you can see, and you have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and then you see that breakthrough, mm-hmm. and you see that change and that openness and and that repentance, it, it is. Repression. You throw everything away mm. because... All of the past, I mean, not that they won't have to bear consequences for their sin, but that that reunion is so sweet mm-hmm. that you know God's work has been completed in that moment. And I think that's where Joseph and his brothers were, that Joseph had seen a bigger picture. He was just waiting for his brothers to see it. Right, yeah. And I think Joseph's faith is, his faith, I think, is the key to forgiveness. Because you're looking in the scriptures like, well, how do you forgive someone who hurts you? What do you do? You can't. You can't just pretend like it never happened. It did happen. Because it's one thing to forgive someone when they when they've hurt you and maybe you think to yourself, but they didn't mean to. Joseph knows very well that what they did was completely intentional. And it's like, well, how do you forgive that? And that's the I think the key is going back to something that we've been um, those of you've read um, Garden of Emunah, we're in the middle of that one. Um, Shlomo Arush, Rabbi Shlomo Arush, really hits on the idea that everything is from Hashem. And it's like, in other words, if you, even people, you know, it's easy for us to think, oh, you know, it rains, that was God's will, you know, there was a lightning strike here or there, that's God's will, but like when people do some bad things, well, that's not God, you know, God doesn't have any control over that, and it's like, God kept that person's heart beating long enough for them to do that thing to you, so that was obviously part of his plan, it's not outside of his sovereignty, they may have free will, but that doesn't change the fact that God allowed it to happen, in other words, uh, what Shlomo Rush's point is, is he says, those people are just sticks in God's hand. They're sticks in God's hand to achieve God's good plan for your life. 
I know that's a cheesy phrase, but it's a good plan for your life, and God is using that person in your life for that for a reason. And so he, the Shlomo Arush's point is, don't get mad at the stick. The stick, the stick didn't do anything, right? What got, what did it? God, God did it. Don't now you can't be mad at him because everything he does is good. So it's like for 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 Joseph right here, this is his his emunah moment. Because earlier he gets dinged because he in the pit in the in prison tries to get the, he trusts in the servant to help him instead of trusting that God's going to get him out of prison. And the sages say that he gets an extra two what, two years tacked onto his extra prison sentence because of that lack of faith. So Joseph has come full circle here too. Joseph has obtained that elite level of emunah that says even what people do is inside of the realm of God's sovereignty. That's a beautiful thing. Yes, sir. Well, the, uh, well just his, Joseph's compassion and like mercy and forgiveness in his response was really cool. But then there was an interesting lesson in the brother's response, which was basically like silence and being terrified when he first reveals himself. <laughs> and the, uh, the Talmud says that Rabbi, Rabbi Elazar would come to this verse and he would weep. Because he said, now if this is like the rebuke of the flesh and blood, and this is like their response, like how much more the rebuke of the Holy One, blessed be He. Mm. So it's like if the brothers were terrified mm. by this like revelation from just someone that is flesh and blood, how much more should we be terrified from like when God corrects us and rebukes us? And that, that was an interesting lesson. Oh, good point. That, that, would, that would take you to the prophetic and the midrashic way, the prophetic promises they will weep for one as weeps for an only child. Right, yeah. It would also speak to Revelation where it says that when that last seal was opened, there's silence in heaven. Yes. All will be silent before you. That's really scary stuff. Really scary stuff. Um, we've got a whole slew of hands. So Brock first, then we're going to come back over this way, and then to my incredible awesome wife. Brock, you're not going to say the same thing he said, right? Uh, no, not this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but I was probably thinking what you're going probably. to say. Um, so what I was thinking is that you, most of the great, you know, righteous men in the Torah, they they don't do the same thing just once. They've done it multiple times. And what we're talking mm -hmm. about, Joseph forgiving his brothers. Uh, there's no direct allusion to this, but I feel like Joseph did this also with Potiphar mm -hmm. and his wife. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, they wronged him, and and he let it go. It's true. By, by all, uh, and he marries their daughter, and he marries their daughter. So. It, and when he has all the power, he doesn't do anything to them. Right. So he, it's, it's not that his forgiveness of his brothers, it, it's remarkable, but it's something that he has done before. It's true. That's, right. That's, a, good That's a good point. And I think that we noticed, if you read further on this portion, it describes Joseph as being in charge of Pharaoh's household. And you think about him being in charge of Potiphar's household. This is a man of character. He demonstrates the same levels of integrity, the same diligence, the same attitudes at every stage in life, whether he is a slave taking care of somebody else's household, or whether he's the number two guy pretty much in the world at this point, um, and can do anything he wants. So I think it's really impressive. Yes, ma'am. Alright, um, when you were talking about the Garden of Emunah, mm -hmm. uh, we read it, and everything also happens for purpose and with a message. Mm -hmm. So what I see when I read this is every message that Joseph did really pertains to Messiah. Right, it's all about okay, Messiah Yeshua. We read the Torah, but yet we know that it's about Messiah Yeshua because all of Israel will know him and mm -hmm. will understand him. And this story of Joseph, they when they come to know him and they see him for who he is, uh, they can really actually look and you know see what Joseph has done 
and you know go back if they know the Torah they're gonna know oh my gosh when they see Messiah for who he is because he did the same thing he forgave everyone when he was risen to power when Messiah Yeshua comes back in power they will bow before him. All mm -hmm. nations will bow, just like the brothers bowed. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's just so many parallels, mm -hmm. you know, to that. So I believe that, you know, that that's what you know. With Emunah, that's the message here. With Emunah, is the message is that Messiah Yeshua, when uh, that when the Jewish people get to know him and and really know him as their Messiah, they're going to be able to parallel everything. Because right now they might not see it all. But I, I really believe that when they do see it, and when they, you know, they see him for who he is, this whole story is just going to, you know, open up. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's because it's just I mean, every single thing that he did, like you said, uh, forgiving Potiphar and, and everyone. Well, Yeshua on the cross forgave Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, so everything was is so much the same. Mm -hmm. And so there's the message of Emunah. The message in this is all about Messiah. Mm. And we're looking forward to that day, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yes, sir. Well, I was going to move us uh, more to a practical level. Okay. Um, when, uh, when the whole family gets there and uh, they're introduced to Pharaoh, uh, I was surprised to hear uh, from what was reading this morning that uh, Joseph chose <laughs> five of his brothers. The wimpiest ones. The wimpiest ones, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I love the fact that they didn't mention them by name. They didn't. It was like very delicate. <laughs> and, and you gotta wonder, you know, maybe a generation later, everybody's reading the Torah, they're teaching it to their kids. Dad. You know, Dad, um, who, are the, who are the five wimpy brothers? <laughs> you know? Um, but the, uh, the one of the rabbis says uh, at the la in the last portion of the Torah, uh, six out of the eleven brothers are have their names repeated more than once, leaving five whose names weren't repeated. Hmm. So uh, don't know who the answer is, but I, personally, this you know namesake thing. Joseph's picking brothers now. I don't know that I'd want to be in the five that got chosen then. And I'd love to hear somebody talk about the fact, don't tell them you're shepherds. What do you do for a living? We're shepherds. <laughs> I, you know, I, maybe I missed that, but I don't get that one, and I haven't read the, the commentary on it, but I'd like to hear what people have to say about that uh, before we talk about uh, Pharaoh's response to Jacob. Well, but yeah, jo Joseph's picks the five guys he's least impressed with because he's hoping that Pharaoh will not turn them into cabinet ministers and whatever else. Right, because, right. And actually, exactly right. if you read the story, again, going back to Emunah, believing that God's in charge of all the details, um, this one, like Judaism emphasizes the miracle of the Exodus, the next book, um, not being so much just that they came out. That was a big deal. But the, one of the biggest miracles is that the children of Israel still were capable of knowing God. And, and forsook what they learned in Egypt. Because it says that they dropped all the way to the very last, second to last level in spirituality before God, Hashem, elevated them out of that and took them out of Egypt. But the, the sages point out there are several little tidbits along the way where God has put things in place to make it easier for the children of Israel to hold on to their faith. So, like, for example, it says that, uh, that one tradition, it, I believe Moses, when he is sort of one of the you know, princes of Egypt or whatever else, institutes Shabbat 
we're gonna we're just gonna take a day off, you know, and that just happens to be Shabbat. You know, uh, they say that Joseph in this whole story he gets everybody circumcised. So then when all the children of Israel are circumcising themselves, no big you, deal. You, you no know, big deal, and you can't tell who's who and whatever else. Um, then also they live in Goshen. Well, they're, in other words, they're separate outside of Egyptian culture. They are encased in their own world so that they can hold on to their faith. And so you see that, those little, those little pieces, those little things. So Joseph, he's trying to keep his brothers out of this palace uh, environment because he knows it's not healthy for them. And so he's trying to get them. But I do like the fact that the names aren't mentioned there because I really see like almost kind of a Lashon Harat thing here. It's like right. God's not going to be not going to lie. He's not going to say that Joseph picked the best five. He's going to eat. Yeah, they, they're 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 the wimpiest ones. We don't need to mention their names. It's not that important. All you need to know is. But it, but it is important to recognize that there were some brothers that were better than the others. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, want to be one of the really good ones. My wife. Her turn. Um, I was just going to point out that um, I I am struck by Pharaoh's reaction to the fact that Joseph's family has come to visit him. <laughs> um, it says it was pleasing in the eyes of Pharaoh, and his immediate reaction is, "Go tell them all to come." It's to me, it's it's kind of like having your boss say, "Your family came to visit, and they want to move here. I'll pay for their flights." <laughs> right. It's like who does that? Nobody right. does that. So it really. It really um, it speaks to the person that Joseph was. He is a very powerful man, but I I think that jo- that Pharaoh's reaction to Joseph means that he was a very well liked man mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes you know I, I think Christians think they aren't supposed to be well liked because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be persecuted for your faith or whatever. Pharaoh Pharaoh really liked Joseph. He had to have because this is a very friendly gesture. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. You know, it's it's almost like saying, "Oh, they, and they can stay at my place while they're looking for you okay. know houses." It, it, Pharaoh Pharaoh provides everything. It's not Joseph who's sending all this stuff. This is Pharaoh sending wagons to, to transport. Um, basically, you will eat of the fat of the land. All the best of Egypt is yours. Those are Pharaoh's comments, not yeah. Joseph's. And I think that's 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 really incredible. It really tells you who Joseph was. That Pharaoh liked him so much that he would offer this immediately. Your family's here? Oh, here's what I can do for them. Absolutely. That's a really good point. I like that very much. Because you read like um, books about like how do you how do you make your work like holy? One of the things that they key on is if you have if you, if you have a normal job, you probably interact with other human beings at some point during the course of that day. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, it, and there are some jobs that are just so elite you can be in your own little castle. But most jobs you require you in, one other person you, to interact a lot with other people, whatever that may ever many people that may be. Um, and that is your opportunity to be holy. That is your opportunity to do mitzvot because you have to treat the people you work with well especially the ones who are calling you on the phone and yelling at you and those types of things. So, um, and, and yet, so what do we see here? Joseph does that. Joseph is such a man of character. He's not just a good guy in the sense that he's moral, but he's also loving, he's kind, he's friendly. And it's like, you know, I think as the Proverbs say, he who has friends must show himself friendly. You're not going to have friends unless you act like a friend. And Joseph does that. Joseph networks, in a sense, with his boss. And you're right, his relationship is so good with him that he extends that care to his family. Right? You know, Joseph, Joseph actually, he, he, he fulfills so many positive role models, but in a business sense, he really does as well. I mean, when you consider, it's, it's very likely Joseph uh, Farrell was a young man, not, not his age, but he was actually younger. 
Mm. Joseph, in a way, uh, meant, it, it appears mentors Pharaoh. Huh, okay. Make, because Pharaoh, Pharaoh is, it, uh, refers to Joseph, that Joseph refers to the fact that Pharaoh, that he has become like a father to Pharaoh. So Joseph's not an old guy, but he's, but you think about what he did for Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's the king of unraveling derivatives. I mean, he is like the genius of, of socioeconomic uh, politics. He's, he's basically taken all of the private property in the entire land of Egypt, and it's, he's made it Pharaoh's property. Right. Uh, which is, like, astounding when you think about it. Yeah. You know, and the people didn't just do it. They did it willingly. <laughs> right. You know, but at the same time, he didn't, he didn't go against the very culture and fabric of Egyptian society. He always preserved just a little bit for them with regard, to, as an example, is the priests got to keep all their property. You know, these are not his friends, but he's understanding he's playing the politics in order, in order to elevate Pharaoh, who he's now treating as a disciple, as it were. Mm -hmm. So when he brings his brothers, it makes perfect sense. He's, he's, he's not playing Pharaoh, but he understands that he understands the mentality. Number one, these people cannot be a threat. As we see a later Pharaoh sees them as a threat. Mm -hmm. So he makes them not a threat. Mm -hmm. He makes he's already he's already carved out Goshen for his family. Mm -hmm. This is his plan. Look, you look at all the things he's done for he's done for uh, in bringing Judah to repentance. You know, he's a he is meticulous in his plans. <laughs> he is. So he's planned that Goshen will be for his family. Yeah. And he's just played it in such a way that it's Pharaoh's decision. Yeah, it's, it's, he's definitely, he's got, have you ever seen um, movies where the, the guy, the main character is meticulous and planning, very detail-oriented, and everything just lines up exactly the way that they expected it? That's really why this is playing out. Like, and it reminds me of Yeshua's comments. He says that the, uh, the wicked of this world are wise with the money, with the money of this world, the evil money, whatever you want to describe that. In other words, he's saying that, like, um, and, he, and then he tells his disciples... Go and do likewise. In other words, his point is like, just because you follow me doesn't mean that you have to be so holy, quote unquote, to the point where like you're completely useless in this world. Yeah. He's like, um, in fact, he says, be innocent as doves, but true to serpents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what Joseph does here. Joseph is noble. Joseph is a man of character. He is a man who doesn't let them, he doesn't abandon his, his faith in Hashem, as we see with his children. And yet, he knows how to play the game, he knows how to, who to be friendly with, he knows how to treat people, he is shrewd, calculating, um, because you can be successful in this world and be righteous as, uh, uh, in the one to come as well. So I've got Greg, and then Lori, and then Brock, and then Mr. Wright. Well, and so that, that, was, that was a really good point, because I feel like Joseph, in the midst of all that, he always does then give all the glory to God right. as well, like to his, oh, when yeah. he, he talks to his brothers, he says God did all this for me, yeah. which is even more amazing because I, I was thinking about the wagons because Rashi has this interesting thing yeah. about the wagons, but like that is true. Pharaoh's it's actually Pharaoh's suggestion that the wagons go, and so you can. It's I was thinking just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart later in the story. Mm -hmm. I think in this case he totally softened Pharaoh's heart too, yeah. and he did something really prophetic because the uh, Rashi says that the study of like. The, it's, the, the Hebrew is like Egla Arufa, which is like the beheaded cow that they have to deal with if they find a body in the field in between cities, okay. which is in Deuteronomy 21. Well, Rashi says that was the last thing that Joseph 
and Jacob had studied together. Right. And so his way of yeah. sending the message to his father was actually sending the wagons. Because it's later when it says, like, Joseph, like, Jacob looks at what Joseph had. Yeah. And he's like, when he saw the wagons, his spirit was revived. And it's like, that. Why would he, why wagons. was his spirit? I see the wagons. I see the wagons, yeah. And because the word for wagon is agalot. And so there was just this tie-in that Rashi yeah. was like, oh, well, yeah. So he, he totally yeah. sent his father a message ahead of time. But then at the same time, we know, well, it was actually Pharaoh's idea to send the wagons. So it was just, it's, it's so cool to see God orchestrating it all behind the scenes as well. Right, yeah, exactly. Although you can, can't you almost see a se sequence where, Joseph, where Pharaoh's like, yeah, tell your family to come here, send them food, Joseph, and wagons, and wagons! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. But you're right, That's and I love that passage. I think it's hilarious. The last thing they were studying was an unknown murder, which is kind of like Joseph's whole story. It's like he's almost like an unknown murder. But there's no body this time, you know? Kind of like, ooh. There's no body in the tomb. Oh, right, it's true. So, let's see. I can remember. Lori's next. Speak up, please. Just a thought on Joseph revealing himself. It's neat because he says, but even going back a little bit, but in chapter 45, verse 5, do not be distressed, no reproach yourselves for having sold me here, for it was to be provided that God sent me ahead of you. He says, you know, we're only two years into this seven-year famine deal. And I think of, you know, his brothers didn't recognize him, but he still sustained them. You know? They didn't have any idea who he was, but he was still providing for them and bringing them life. You know, I think of that in Tishua. Mm -hmm. right. You know? Like, many of his brothers don't recognize him, don't consider him Jewish kosher in the least, you know? But he still sustained them. He still is upholding them, mm -hmm. just because that's who he is. To Messiah does. Yeah, very cool. Absolutely. Uh, I think Gloria and Minister Wright. Are gonna, gonna <laughs> is that right? Did Brock. I miss it? Brock, you got Brock. Yeah. I got, oh, man, they're just everywhere. Wait, no. Brock was going to say what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Well, well, I, I was just going to bring us back to that Pharaoh surely remembered the dreams were revealed through God. I mean, you know, Joseph was a spokesman, but mm -hmm. jo um, Joseph refers to, it says, um, I can't do it. And the seventh, uh, okay. And this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. He didn't take it for himself, but that God himself showed Pharaoh what he was about to do. So I do believe it's, Yes, Joseph had all of this character and all this super stuff, but Pharaoh saw that it was through God's hand. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he wasn't just a man of himself with all this wisdom and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I do believe Joseph continued to go to God and ask him for wisdom as to mm -hmm. what to do to handle mm -hmm. all the grain and all that. It mm -hmm. wasn't just his good business sense. It was God revealing himself and his wisdom through Joseph to Pharaoh and how to orchestrate all of that. Yeah. So yeah. He, he recognized there's a big God out there. Right. It's not just a good, wise business sense. Right, no, absolutely. And I think that, um, like to Greg's point, Joseph repeatedly gives God the credit for it. And that's one of the things, I have to say, that's that's been something that I am still not quite there yet, but I'm trying to like do that more and more where I'm comfortable. It's kind of scary to do that in the business setting, I feel like. But it's like, I've really been inspired just from reading Joseph, and he's like everything. Oh, yeah. 
that you know, God did this and God gave me that and God said to do this and God blessed me this way and it's like wow that I mean he just he doesn't he never seems to take credit it's like Tim Tebow yeah. Yeah. Okay. A historical note. Um, the reason Joseph told his five Wemby brothers that hey, don't tell them your shepherds is because uh, the Egyptians uh, hate had, shepherds. They hate shepherds. They had been oppressed and plagued by these shepherd nations, these barbarians that they, they, they that were primarily shepherds, but had been like raiding and pillaging them for a long time. Not at the time because they were a powerful nation, but before that, they had just this okay. huge hate of anyone who's a shepherd. Um, so that's why he told them. But it's remarkable, I guess, what uh, Mr. Spock was saying that they liked Joseph so much. They're like, you know what? We don't care who your family is. <laughs> That's very true. It says in the Kamash, it said that. It says it in the Kamash, it says right there that it was the way Joseph approached Pharaoh and the way he spoke and the way he said to Pharaoh before his brothers even came that caused Pharaoh to say, oh, it doesn't matter. We just love, you know, it was, he just knew how to talk to him and how to say it. That it right there. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you can you can essentially convince people of. It's yeah, like you know, you ha- it. having grown up in a very southern Confederate family, we have come to love New Yorkers. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Miracles do happen. Every day, it's our goal to take all New Yorkers and make them southern. <laughs> it's working. Oh, I don't know. It's working. It's working. We have to remember who these guys are. They're the ones uh, we've never been spies. Oh. We don't have the best responses. On That's them. true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're sick. Sick. You've never been spies. What are you, shepherds? <laughs> 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 can't, can't you see? Can't you see Joseph? He's probably standing there going. Uh, uh, I, the one thing I told you. When they say shepherds, they just Does mean. Does he say not to say they're shepherds? Yes, he says to yeah. use the phrase yeah. cattlemen yeah. because oh, they're yeah. tactical. Well, and remember the cowboys movies where they, the, the cattlemen hated shepherds because right. <laughs> the sheep would eat all the grass. Oh, yeah. It's right. kind of the opposite of shepherds. Yeah. I think we got Mr. Wright next. Um, Joseph asked the question, um, really two things. One was about the five weaker, and, and the second one was uh, that they ended up being shepherds. Uh, but the, the orchestration was there's this land rich, this land of Goshen, uh, and so the orchestration was that's where this is being orchestrated, um, you know, by God through Joseph that they would have that land. Mm-hmm. So the whole time, uh, whether it be uh, Joseph being traded to to you know be a slave or thrown in prison, um, and even during his time to help Pharaoh, um, he had more in mind. Or God had more in mind for Joseph than than what it appeared, because I think when Pharaoh first signed up for the deal, he he wasn't thinking, "Oh, I got you covered, Pharaoh. Not only are you guys going to be fine, you're going to end up owning everything." <laughs> that wasn't necessarily part of the deal. I mean, it could have been. We don't we don't read that. So, um, meaning, uh, out of weakness came not just strength, but it's it's overwhelming, over the top. Uh, over the top. So. Um, I, I see the five brothers that way too. It's like, hey, I want to be the weak brother because it's right. no telling what's on the back end. Right? Right. <laughs> I, I want to be seen as the weaker because uh, what's happened throughout the story is that the weaker became right. the, the conqueror. And Absolutely. so 
I don't. I wouldn't mind being one of the. Hey, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll go. To, I'll go to talk to Pharaoh, or I'll be the shepherd because we're going to inherit uh, Goshen. But you have to have the faith of not really knowing that. Just right. hey, God's going to work right. it out. I'll I'll take the hit or whatever. Right. And then to see God work it out. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, I think it gets almost to the point where you don't even see it as a hit anymore. You see it as right. this is God's plan. Therefore, it's good. It doesn't even matter what the steps are. Because, I mean, if, you know, people oftentimes talk about the story of Job and how beautiful it is at the end and so on and so forth. And it's like, A, Job doesn't know that when the story's happening. And B, it's like, you know, as, as great as it was to have the be- most beautiful daughters in all the land, as you see at the end of the book of Job, that doesn't replace the kids he lost. Um, and so Job's faith is not um, strengthened because it turned out okay. Job's faith was strong in that he trusted in God when it was awful. And even after it's over, it doesn't fix it. He still believes that God was good, even though it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that to your point, yeah, it's the same thing throughout this whole story. There are so many things that happen to Joseph throughout his lifetime that don't make sense, that, that, that can only be that, theoretically. But Joseph always has, he keeps that, that faith in God to believe that God is in charge and God is doing what's right and this is going to be good. So at the end, when everything works out, um, Joseph's not a different person because the whole way through he's had that same level of faith mm-hmm. to the point that now when he has all of those blessings it didn't change him because he was he, he, nothing to change the material circumstances was not what he was depending on um, I think I saw Colby, did you raise your hand? yeah when you were talking about the, um, the brothers saying that they're shepherds and they were told to say they're cattlemen that it's the sages comment Previously, when they were giving Joseph away in, in that section about all the great things about the brothers, and one of their great things they said that, and they they said nothing good of Joseph. And Rashi says Rukashim because they were so honest, they honest, they really didn't see anything good in Joseph, <laughs> so they weren't going to lie about it. So this also um, comments that how honest the brothers were, and that it was impossible for them to lie because they were so righteous. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's a very good point. Um, one of the things we get into chapter forty-six, we get into the visits. Um, is that a hand raise? Okay. Um, we get into the. <laughs> we're getting into the visits. Swatting fly. Oh, his hand is up. Oh, whose hand is up? Okay. Oh. Okay. Just a second. Um, we get into chapter forty-six. And we get to the to the trip to Egypt. Um, one of the things I think is so beautiful is that God meets Jacob. If you know the story of Jacob's dad, okay, so Jacob's grandfather went to Egypt. That didn't turn out so well. Jacob's father is traveling south because it's a famine, and God says, "Whoa, no, time out! You are not supposed to go any further." No Egypt for you. No Egypt for you. And Jacob, um, he's worked really hard to get back to the land of Israel. He had to leave. He had to flee. He gets he gets his wives. He gets his wealth. He comes back, he faces Esau, as scary as that is, and, and he resides here um, in the land of Israel. He tra- he was a, a couple portions ago, talked about he settled. It's like he really sensed that like, this was like his stopping point. And so this has to be really hard for him and kind of scary. You know, he's getting ready to leave, and it's like he's leaving his home. He doesn't, I mean, his, his dad was told not to go to Egypt, so it's like, is this even the best idea? Mm-hmm. And, and so God is so gracious, God meets him. And God speaks him a vision that says, it's okay. This is my plan. This is the way it's supposed to work out. Um, but one of the things that I think is so beautiful in this passage is it says, I shall descend with you 
to Egypt. God makes it clear, I'm going with you. And one of the things I think, we've talked about this before, the sages say that God is with his people in exile. In other words, it's like it's not just the idea that God puts his children through difficult things to teach them a good lesson, to bless them somehow, whatever, or to, you know, to get them to repent, but that God goes with them through it. And that in the midst of Israel's suffering, God is suffering with them. And that's what happens here. It's, I shall descend with you. I mean, think about the heat. The, the, it makes sense geographically because they're going south, they're descending. But I think there's also just such a cool, like, allegorical picture there, too. I will descend with you. And it's like David's talking about, you know, if I were to make my bed in the pit of, del, of death, of hell, mm-hmm. you would still be with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we see throughout the people's existence that God feels it, too. I mean, um, you know, and, and then I think if you go through a tragedy in your life, and there are people in this room that have gone through some awful things over the last few months and over the last few years, um, you... Yeah, one of the things you have to grab onto is that God feels it too. Mm-hmm. And that it's not, God's not being callous. He's not being dismissive. It's not like, well, but if you knew what I really had for you, you would know that it's okay. God hurts with us too. It says that, um, you know, he talks about the idea of like, you know, counting the hairs in your head. Talks about the idea of like the death of the righteous. You know, he, he notices these things. It's precious in his sight. Yes. And Even Jesus wept with Lazarus. Yeah, the same wept. thing. You see, he, he feels it too. And so I think that, that that to me, when you go through a really hard experience, is, is really encouraging. It helps my emunah, helps my faith, because mm-hmm. I can say that this is not, not just good in the end, because we can believe that. You know, okay, somehow God knows what he's doing here. But it's like, God would only put me through this if he was prepared to go through it with me. And I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think you had a comment, as much as you're trying to hide it from me. So... I was surprised at Jacob's response to Pharaoh. You were in 46, and I've just jumped into 47. That's okay. We've got to keep this. So um, he's just met God again, and God's made it clear, I'm going down with you, just like you just said. So it was three or four portions ago, uh, and Alan and I were, were studying and we read that Jacob, when he found out about Joseph, would not be consoled. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. And he just he just tore up, and he's staying tore up. Mm-hmm. And the brothers are like, "Dad is pretty tore up, and he won't get untore." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know. Um, but the sages were saying, "You know what? You're supposed to mourn, and there's an end to the mourning mm-hmm. when you know that the person has died." Hmm. If you don't know that the person is dead, you can't be consoled because you can't properly mourn because there is no end. Right. That's cool, I think, that he would not be consoled. Okay. And now, boom, Joseph's alive. Woohoo! Let's go down. He meets God on the way. To me, that would be like a you know red letter day. Mark that on the calendar. <laughs> I saw God today. He said he's going down with me. I, you know, I I would have thought when he got in front of Pharaoh, it's like, hi, how are you? Yeah, just met God a couple of weeks ago. Unbelievable. And how are you? I know you know my son. <laughs> but that's not how it goes at all. This is the it, weirdest thing. It really is. And in fact, it appears. And I'm just trying to put myself in Joseph's place. <laughs> Pharaoh stands in front of him, or he stands in front of Pharaoh, and the first thing Pharaoh goes is like, wow. How old are you? really old. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened to you? you know? I, 
I, that's the kind of thing I would say. I'm just, you know, how not politically correct. It's like, hey, how old are you? <laughs> oh, God, she looks old. Obviously, Kara did not have a wife to rip him in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why are you kicking my shin? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which I, I say because so, it's a very good thing for a wife to do. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm with you. So I see. I saw a couple things in this, just real quick. Um, so the first thing I thought odd was in uh, 47.7, Yosef brought Yaakov, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Yaakov blessed Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty bizarre. He didn't bless his son and say, isn't my, isn't my son something? And isn't he really working for you? I mean, you own everything, right? He blessed Pharaoh. When they leave, and they're done with their uh, conversation, verse 10, Yaakov blessed Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So he blesses him when he meets him. He blesses him when he leaves. That's pretty amazing. The conversation that ensued was pretty, pretty wild, as you said. How many years have you been alive? Yaakov said to Pharaoh, I've been wandering around for 130 years. Compared to my father's lifetimes, when they were wandering around, the days of my life have been few and miserable. Even ignoring the miseries that I've had my days have not been as good as theirs. So it's, it's really an amazing thing that he describes himself as a sojourner. I've never really had any place to live. I've just been waiting for the place mm-hmm. to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in somebody else's place all the time. I'm done with camping, and I look old because I've been camping. No offense on the campers. <laughs> you know? But it, it really does seem that Jacob saw himself as always on the move and never settled. And now he's settling in a land and will die in this land that is not the place that God promised. But he recognizes from what you did in 46 that God's going down with him and will bring his children back out. Right. So I think you got a you got a really, really worn out old guy who looks a little wiry and you can see in his eyes he's got a knowledge of the Holy One that he can work with. I, I think that's astonishing. Yeah, he's. It's interesting you mentioned that you keyed in on his "I have sojourn," mm-hmm. because um, if you look at this passage, it's it's definitely bizarre. I mean, I kind of expect you know Jake Jafaro is going to say, "So, uh, what's it like in Canaan?" Or I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, you, so how, how did you uh, how did you raise your son? Turned out yeah. a pretty good guy. Yeah. Didn't have any conversations like that. Um, but if you look at it, okay, if you, if you know anything about Hebrew poetry. It very rarely rhymes, or sometimes rhymes, but the main thing about Hebrew poetry is that it's called chiastic, which means it's like it's a parallel. It like, um, if, you've, if you've ever done stuff with uh, mathematics, you may have seen co- uh, codes and things that are like A, B, A, B. And like, that's like chiastic poetry. It's or like A, C, D, C, B, A. Yeah, exactly. So you see like the parallels on each side. This whole little passage is actually a chiastic line because it opens with. Then Joseph brought Jacob his father and presented him to Pharaoh. And it ends with, and left Pharaoh's presence. So he came into Pharaoh, and he left from Pharaoh. The next line is, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And what's the line before the Second last one? Last? Jacob, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh. 
Then the, um, the, the next line is, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob says, the, second, next, the previous line, few and bad have been the days of the years of my life. So the one, the one that doesn't have a, a, a parallel, and in, in Hebrew, is Hebrew poetry, the one that stands alone is usually the most important. So in this one, the one that stands alone is the years of my sojourns have been 130 years. And I think you're right. I think that the key to that is that Jacob saw himself as a sojourn. Yeah. Because what did what happen? What just the passage before, uh, um, two weeks ago, uh, God kind of, he's like, Jacob, don't, don't settle here. Your life is not to a point of settling yet. You, 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 you have still a long ways to go before you get to your real home. And I think that J- Jacob got that. And I think that that's, that stands out. If you look at Hebrews, um, we see that he prepared a place for them because they didn't count this place the place, but they believed that God was building a city for them. Mm-hmm. And I see Jacob is doing the same thing here. Mm-hmm. He believes that God has an ultimate place for him, and he's living his life, as it were, in the, anti- in the antechamber, yeah. getting ready to go into the banquet hall. So if I can remember, Behind. I think... Were you next on that list of long people? And then I see a Lori and my dad. So go ahead. We'll go around the room. Okay. Well, there, there was a couple of things that you had said that made me think, especially like God going with them, and then now like Jacob seeing himself as a sojourner, that, man, it sounded so much, like when you look at the story, there's so many parallels to Psalm 23. Because it's like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's exactly what like they are. They're shepherds. And, you know, make, us, make me lie down in green pastures. That's the land of Goshen. That's like the most fertile land of all of Egypt. And, like, you go through it, and the last part is, like, everywhere I go, God's goodness will follow me yes. all the days of my life, which God does follow Jacob everywhere he goes, despite the fact that he is a sojourner. And I just thought that, that's really interesting that a psalm has so many. I mean, even, like, the, the still waters, there's a lot of commentary about how because of Jacob's blessing to Pharaoh, how the Nile was actually blessed because of him, which which is a, it's a river, you know. But um, there's just there's yeah there's a lot of different things there. Yeah, absolutely. Jacob's got power. Actually, I forgot. Gloria had a comment. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that that's kind of what was going in my mind. Um, the longer we live, the longer we live with him, and the longer we and the more. We beseech him to give us direction, and the more pain, the more whatever we experience, the more we see God's hand in our own personal life. As you go through those very difficult, hard, heartbreaking times, and you see God's hand, it boosts your faith and your understanding that God does know all things. We don't know them, but he does. And as you have a good papa, as I've been blessed, and Joseph and many of you are good papas or have had good papas, you trust that he knows and is making decisions for your best. Hmm. Not for what you want, but for your best. And he might get it wrong, an earthly father might, but you still trust when he says, don't touch that stove, it's going to burn you. Well, you don't touch it because you trust that he's being a good papa and he really has your best in mind. So as we walk and we don't understand what's going on, then you just trust. And that is what I have learned in 40 years of walking closely with him 
is that I don't understand why bad things happen, but they do. And that I trust, if I've learned nothing else, is that he's faithful and that I can trust whatever he puts in my path. And Joseph has done the same. So has Jacob done the same. He trusts God has his everything for his best. Absolutely. He doesn't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and then Lori. Uh, well, in regard to Joseph's response to uh, Pharaoh, he says, I've been a soldier for these 130 years. The um, It reminds me of, of uh, excuse me, Jacob, Jacob's response. Jacob, it reminds me of Jacob's answer to uh, Esau, uh, to Esau. When he says, where have you been? He says, in Ramagagi, I've been sojourning with Laban. And and in that phrase, he actually is, is using, in, in a way, a code. His use of sojourning with Laban is that he did not he did not assimilate. Even though he was living with Laban, he was the sojourner there. So he was not a part of Laban. Right. And so his response then to Pharaoh is, is alluding to the fact that he's going to be a sojourner and his... He and his family will not assimilate. They will not be Egyptians. So his his point of being a sojourner is this is why we should we should take this as well. It says uh, in in the in the midrash Rabban, it talks about it talks about the fact that as as um, as the doves were sent from the ark that they ha- that the dove excuse me the dove was sent from the ark had no place to light its feet that it was it was as if the Holy Spirit was looking for somewhere and 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 God finding a Place to dwell. So, Messiah is a sojourner in the world today. He has a dwelling that is coming as yet future. It's not yet. Mm-hmm. His dwelling is mm-hmm. only in a in a mystical sense. His dwelling is not physical. Mm-hmm. So he's a sojourner. And so J- Jacob is is giving us a messianic identity of a sojourner. It's mm-hmm. our identity as disciples. But it's because our Messiah is a sojourner, and his dwelling place will be Jerusalem, and it is yet future. And when it happens, mm-hmm. he will no longer be a sojourner. Absolutely, it's actually what Yeshua said. Fox and foxes have yes. holes, but I have no place for the Son of Man to rest his head. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's good. He said it much better than I was going to. No, no. Wait, wait. You're going to say what he said? Obviously. Right. This is true. We all want to say what the Spurlocks are going to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 th- what that really just goes to is, the, is it teaches the uh, the amazing unity in this room. How much we all we all have been studying the same thing for many years now. Um, we're getting towards one behind you. There. Oh, other, other behind you. The other direction. Oh, what's <laughs> that? You're going to say that we were getting to the end. We're getting towards the end. Yes, we are. Because I thought we could. Uh, Take a real quick look at Ezekiel 37, the hot tub. Oh, um, well, are we? Well, it's up to you. Let's see. I vote yes. I would um, bring <laughs> differentiation between Zechariah here and then in Acts when Stephen says 75 and here says 70. I can address that. Oh, did I, well, I didn't know if they looked at the numbers. Oh, oh, the numbers of the He's genealogy. Yeah. We'll get to Ezekiel anyway. The 70 or the 75. Yeah. So is it 70 or 75? Mm-hmm. It's not. Well, why, no why, wait, 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 wait. Why would it have 75? Not because the scripture says it's 75. I it thought it said 70. It's Acts, it's just, it says 70. 75. Oh, in the Greek scripture. No, no. <laughs> so the question is, the question is, is it 70 or 75? And the answer is, if you do the math, it's neither. 66. Right. So where's the 70 come from? It doesn't tell you. 
So like you can see that Joseph's not just he's not just an extortionist. He's not just trying to get everything he can get from. And he's not people. a Democrat. He does what takes twenty. <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. Tell and he's not that. doing it for himself. He's doing it for his Fair. boss. And but I think what's cool about this passage though that I, that I noticed this time seeing it is it's like he made them work. And I think that sometimes, one of the things that those, I mean, Johnny did a lesson on, on charity, like the greatest form of charity is to give someone a job, to give someone the ability to earn their own money. And I kind of almost see that sort of here. It's like, we should give charity even to bums in the street corners who are going to spend it on drugs. I think that we, when they ask, we should be willing to share. I but I think, well, right, but we don't know they're going to buy drugs, but we don't, we assume the best that they're going to go buy themselves food and, and give it to their poor them. friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that in this case, as a leader, Joseph has a slightly different responsibility. And um, I do think that he gets something that our culture doesn't get, and that's that you don't get something for not earning it. And um, unfortunately, I think that one of the most destructive things happening in America today is there's a whole slew of people who get free stuff, and it costs them nothing. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's exactly what Peter says. And I, and I feel like that's what Joseph is playing out here. He, he, eventually there's a point where you can't take anymore and you've done everything you can do and now I will give you charity but if we haven't gotten to that point yet it's like as, as, at least as a government leader and I'm sure as, as you've experienced probably as a father sometimes you have to put, make your kids do things because just giving them a handout is not, is not enough you know? sometimes you have, to, you have to hold them responsible for their life decisions um, but we can go ahead and wrap up Genesis for now and talk briefly about Ezekiel and then we will conclude. Two sticks. Three Two sticks. House Probably the, <laughs> the three house movement. <laughs> there's the there's Judah, there's Israel, and then there's the tribe of Ezekiel. The guy in the middle holding the sticks. It's got to be one of the most uh, well-known passages in the prophets. But, um, I mean, the guys in that study I certainly know, but for, for those who are unclear on the chronology, Ezekiel was a prophet that was given to Israel after the nation had split. You recall the nation was united under King David and under his son Solomon, who built the temple. And then when Solomon died, the nation was split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Northern and the southern. And been uh, like that part. for hundreds of years. You bet. So Ezekiel comes on the scene when the nation is already two. So Worse than that, it's the northern tribes <laughs> it's gone. have been taken into exile a while ago. Now, well, I question whether or not the northern tribe had been taken into exile, but um, I'll, I'll let you have it. Let's talk about the Assyrian exile. Yeah, yeah. Got 200 years earlier. So the amazing thing to me is that uh, he mentions David. Mm. Yeah. At that's least two weird. or three times. Be he mentions like, David. It was like, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be the king. It's I'm gonna bring him together and he's gonna be the king. It's almost like God saying, I will bring the Democrats Republicans together and George Washington will be their president. Exactly. <laughs> I mean it's just, it's out of there. So <laughs> I just wanted to bring up uh, you know for for the sake of our faith, uh, in chapter thirty seven and verse twenty four my servant Mashiach, the descendant of David, will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and guard my statutes in their hearts and fulfill them. They will settle in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob. 
the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren will live there forever. And again, to your point with the chiastic business, and David will, they, my servant will be their leader forever. We need to recognize that while some sects, if you will, of Christianity want to completely ignore <laughs> or do away with this particular passage, it is a fact that God is making it clear that either David himself or a descendant from David will be the leader of God's people and he will lead them and be their king in the physical land of Israel. You can't deny that unless you want to just toss this whole thing out and say, well, this must have been some apocryphal work because God didn't really say it. Um, we need to recognize that and we need to recognize the fact that God not only mentioned to his prophet that he would bring those people together, that they would be under King David or one of his descendants, Mashiach, I, I presume, but also that Jacob would be there as well. I think it's really cool. Again, we reinforce the uh, concept of resurrection there. Amen. Um, but then at the same time, um, if you, for those of you who maybe don't know any of the politics of modern Israel, uh, the idea of bringing them two together is a pretty amazing concept because, um, I mean, the, the Israeli parliament right now is so fragmented. The, reason, the only reason why our country only has like a president so often is that's the way we structured. We have one guy who leads for so long. But a lot of other governments around the world don't do that. They have whoever wins the most number of seats in their parliament or congress, they end up that, that party picks who the new leader is. Well, in Israel, it's so fragmented and so fractured that like part, you know, you can have a party that only has like a, you know, a 16th of the number of seats ends up wielding a lot of power because if they leave, the whole government collapses because there's so many parties, you have even the small ones are important. I went to go to an election one time and there were 27 different choices for who you vote for. It's like, I mean, all Republican, all Democrat, and 25 more. Um, so it's like, there's just, it's fractured beyond imagination almost. And yet, so to think that God is gonna bring unity, that God's gonna bring them and make them one, and they're gonna follow one guy is huge. That's miraculous. There's no other way around that. And and I think the cool part is, in our days, we have seen the start of this process in that what is the land of Israel today? From north to south, Israel and Judah is one country. Like, when when, when Ezekiel got this promise, that was not true. Not, not really. Um, so it's like, uh, that means that we have already seen like almost like a, a deposit on this promise. There's one country in the land of Israel. It's not fractured geographically. And then eventually God will unite them physically, spiritually, emotionally, and politically. And include the shaman. And, and then just the, the final comment, as we've seen, that this portion is all about Judah stepping up and taking responsibility for Benjamin. That southern kingdom you just described was Judah and Benjamin. Hmm. That's true. Kept his promise. Very cool. Alrighty, any final comments? Dad, would you pray for us? I will. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that you see all the things that uh, we have done personally. You have weighed them and you found them lacking. Father, we thank you that your mercy and your grace is sufficient, not just to cover, but to find ways that can bring us to repentance. That can find ways to intricately move in our lives and the lives of people around us that we know to motivate us for us to see our error and to repent and to return. Father, Father, we thank you for the promise that we see in the story of Judah and how he repented, how he brought 
uh, and provided for a, a preservation of his entire family uh, through his uh, righteous brother. Father, we ask that you might also do that for us, that you might provide a way that we might be preserved through our righteous brother, Messiah. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well done, Joshua. Thank you all. Yeah.